You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Well, thank you, Greg. That's quite the introduction and didn't even mention anything about the fact that my notes are in font 72. So that's a, that's a good son. So he already did the first half of my sermon by introducing me, um, but uh, I'd like to just say that uh, uh, I am really privileged to bring the message this morning, and uh, thank you to Blair for coercing, I mean, uh, talking me into this, uh, anyway, yeah. or should I say Uncle Blair, where'd he go? Uncle Blair. And uh, So anyway, we're continuing in a series looking at First and Second Peter, entitled uh, Living Hope. To date, Pastor Blair has taken us through most of the chapter of First Peter. And uh, again, thanks for that. And I get the privilege, of course, of closing out this initial chapter with the final four verses, 22 through 25. So I think I gave you the right sermon notes, Harold. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so please turn with me to First Peter 1, verses 22 to 25. If you have the means, it will also be on the screen behind me. And let's read. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word was the good news preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, open our ears and our hearts to receive the message you have for us today. Give us ears to understand, and may your words encourage us in our daily walk. Amen. Last week, uh, Blair talked about how we are called to be holy because Jesus Christ is holy and how and why he was made known to us and for the sake of all believers that we might know the truth and put our faith and hope in God. In these final four verses, Peter not only sums up his message in chapter 1, but brings some fresh insight as to how we are to behave while we are on this earth. You know, many good things don't last long, do they? We're in a replacement society, it seems. A good pair of shoes, a favorite pair of jeans, even the human body. For example, it seems like only yesterday that I was in my early 20s roaming around Europe with dark brown hippie hair and a mustache and a beard. I wanted to put a picture up, but my editor said I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to. But anyway, <laughs> Ah, we can talk. But time does fly. For example, listen to this story. An older woman took a package to the post office to mail and was told it would cost $8.95 for fast delivery and $5.30 for slower service. There's no hurry, she told the young clerk. Just so the package is delivered in my lifetime. He glanced at her and said, it'll be $8.95, please. It is very evident that time will not stand still for any reason. In fact, Peter reminds us in this passage that there is only one thing 
that will never perish or fade. And that's the word of God. And Jesus says in Mark 13, verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isn't it great to know that what we believe is eternal truth? It will never die or pass away. But there's always something else. There's, there's also something else attached to this passage. Very valuable in the eyes of God that will never pass away. Do you know what it is? Listen to these words from 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. In our text today, let's consider what the imperishable word of God produces in people. Our three points out of this text are one, obedience and love. Two, imperishable seed. And three, eternity. First, in 1 Peter 1 verse 22, it states, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So what does obedience have to do with the word of God? Well, apparently quite a bit. Check these uh, Bible passages out. Matthew 28:19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 5:32 says, And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 says, Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Ouch. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And 1 John 2, verse 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. These scriptures and more tell us we must obey God's word as best we can in order to be purified and cleansed from our sin. True Bible faith is an obedient faith. C.S. Lewis, who many know as the writer of the Narnia tales, said, I was not born to be free. I was born to adore and obey. He also added, to have faith in Christ means, of course, to do all he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have already handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to go to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably to want to act in a certain way. Because a first glimpse of heaven is already inside you. The implication of your obedience to God's word, when you purify your souls by your obedience to truth, takes you down a one-way path toward a sincere love for your brothers, your fellow Christians. 
And because that is true, this new love you find must be nurtured and encouraged. And you need to exert yourself to do it, to love fervently from a pure heart. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, the verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers in Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Biblical love like this is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment which should, in itself, seek the highest good of the one loved. It is not a sentimental love, since at its core it is a commitment. And it does not mean always being nice, either. For example, if I have a choice between a doctor who is nice and who gives lots of hugs and who sends me out the door feeling good and another doctor who says, Randy, I'm going to be honest. You're very sick. The cure will be painful, but it will make you well. Give me the second doctor. He's the one who really cares. He's willing to confront the sickness in my life and he's committed to helping me get better. And when we learn to obey the word of God, we'll also develop a strong love for others. Listen to Jesus' words again in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And John echoes this in 1 John 2, verse 5, where he says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. When the Moravian missionaries, who later became Lutherans, went to Greenland in the 18th century, they were unable during their first year there to make any impression whatsoever. Then came an awful epidemic of smallpox in which multitudes became sick. And the missionaries went about uh, the people ministering to their bodies and souls in Christ's name. After that, the way was clear. The people said, you have nursed us in our sickness. You have cared for us in our distress. You have buried our dead. Now tell us of your Jesus. These missionaries demonstrated love. And that is what made the difference. Someone once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 is also a great example of this. And preacher Dwight L. Moody commented, show me a church where there is love and I will show you a church that is a power in the community. So this leads us into verse 23 of 1 Peter 1 and our second point since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God Peter says here that you've been born again so what does that mean grammatically you have been born again is a parallel statement to you have purified your souls which we read earlier When you gave your life to Jesus, this was a new birth, which, through God's word, brings all of us into a new eternal family 
where God is our common father. J.I. Packer defines this new birth as an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the gracious, sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. God does this through his word, both preached and written. The only way we can know God the Father is through the revelation he has given us about himself. And he has chosen to record that revelation in the Bible. Thus he uses the truth contained in the Bible, especially the truth about his son who gave himself up on the cross for our sins, to bring about the miracle of new birth in human hearts. Peter describes the new birth as coming from an imperishable seed. When I see the word seed, it reminds me of the parables of Matthew 13. And if you get an opportunity, please read through these in their entirety. The first parable explains what happens to the seed, which is the word of God, when sown under four different conditions, along the path, on rocky ground, among the thorns, and in good soil. The second parable of the seed describes a prophetic scene of God's seed growing up amongst weeds. And the final parable talks of the smallest of seeds, the mustard seed, growing to become the largest tree in the garden and expresses how the kingdom of God, with such small beginnings as 12 disciples, has grown into the kingdom of God as we know it today. But to bring the verse to us in a slightly different way, I'm borrowing from the Jewish pastor, Jonathan Kahn. My wife, Anne, and I are presently doing our daily devotions from his book titled The Book of Mysteries. Here in a school in a desert somewhere, the teacher speaks to one of his students about this exact verse. And for the purposes of this particular uh, reading, I'm going to be the student, which we should all be students anyway, right? So it fits. The teacher was holding in one hand a cloth bag and in the other a small shovel. He led me to a spot of soil that had been marked out for planting. He reached into the bag and placed into my hand a sample of its contents. Seeds, he said. Potential miracles. Each one is filled with a potential for life, growth, blossoming, and fruitfulness. It's all there in the seed. The plan, everything it will become. The plant, the flower, the tree. It's all there inside the shell. Now, what happens if the seed stays in the bag? Nothing, nothing happens, I replied. Exactly. All its potential stays unrealized. But if we take the seed and plant it in the soil, everything changes. The seed becomes one with the earth. The shell opens up and the life inside the seed joins itself to the soil around it. It puts out roots and draws in life from the earth. The plan is activated. The promise unlocked. And the potential becomes reality. So are you going to plant those seeds, I asked? Yes, he said. But that's not why I brought you here. Reaching into his pocket, he took out a book and handed it to me. It was a Bible. What's inside this, he asked. The word, I answered. Seeds, he replied. The word of God itself refers to the word of God as a seed. The Bible is the container of many seeds. And every seed, every word is a potential miracle. And as is a seed, so is the word of God. Each word has the potential.
to produce life, growth, blossoming, fruitfulness, and a miracle. It's all there inside the seed, inside the word. But if the seed stays in the bag, if the word stays on the pages and is never sown to life, then its life stays unlocked, unrealized. So the word must be sown. Sown to what soil, I replied. Sown to the soil of life, he replied. To the lives of others and to the soil of your life. The seed must become one with the soil. The word must become one with your life. So you need to sow the word into every situation of your life. And let it become one with that soil. The soil of your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, your life. For when the word becomes one with your life, then its shell will break open. Its plan will be activated. Its promise unlocked. Its life released. And its miracle begun. Finally, verses 24 and 25 of 1 Peter 1 speak of the living hope that we have to live forever with our Lord. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word was the good news that was preached to you. Here, Peter quotes from Isaiah 40, 6 and 8, to contrast the weakness of human flesh with the power of the Lord that has granted new life to believers. In Psalm 90, the psalmist says in verse 10, that the years of our life are 70, or even by strength, 80. On the flip side, the lifespan of a Christian believer on earth has been described as but the title page of a book that has no ending. Revelation 21 describes a new heaven and a new earth where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Praise God. As Christians, we believe in the promise of eternal life. God, through his word and spirit, has put eternity into our hearts and minds. And we long to go there. We have been born again through faith in and obedience to the word of God. And we recognize that all men are like grass that withers. And even though we may not like the withering process... We have a living hope in a place where there will be no pain, no crying, no tears, no sin, no shame, no hurt, no death. And what will that be like? In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, we read, As it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was and is preached to you. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for your word today. Help us all to be obedient to your word and starting today to take a seed from the word of God and plant it in the soil of our hearts. Let its promise be unlocked 
and bear fruit in our lives. And let us make it our aim today not to just strive for heaven, but let heaven, its love, its blessings, and its joy get into us. Amen.